Welcome to this episode of CTU Speaks. Sharky signs off. I'm your co-host, Andrea Parker, and I'm joined with... Jim Starros. How are you doing, Ms. Parker? I'm not doing too well because, as you know, our president is signing off. Joe Biden? No. Our CTU president, Jesse Sharkey, he is not going to run for re-election in May. Yeah, I heard about that. And so we're going to be talking to him later in the episode, and we're going to hear all about his reasons as to why and what's going to be going on in the future for him and some of the craziness that the mayor is trying to pull with the CTU elections coming up. I know. That won't work. They won't work. Like, why does she even think that's going to work? It hasn't worked so far. I don't even know why she's still playing. And so in order to get the facts, we want to get it straight from the Sharky's mouth. All right. We are here with Jesse Sharkey, the president of Chicago Teachers Union and um, our fearless leader. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's, it's great to be uh, here with you, Jim. Uh, and I'm glad to be here with Andrea, too. Yes, we're so glad to be here with you, as this may be yeah. our last podcast with you as the president of the Chicago Teachers Union, the most powerful union in the country. <laughs> I, well, ho- hopefully um, I, I get to stay involved in the movement and, and, involved Absolutely. In the union, and you get to have me on again. But yeah, not, not, as, not, not an office. Right, right. So you dropped a quite a bombshell on everyone at the last house meeting. So I know inquiring minds want to know what went into your decision making. Yeah. So if you were under a rock and you haven't heard, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not seeking a fifth term. Um, my fourth term in office, my fourth three year term, expires at the end of June. Uh, after which I'm going to step away from being a C2 officer and go back to teaching. I'm working on trying to find a job if anyone's got an opening in their school. Um, what was the thinking? I mean, partly in, in the broadest sense, it was partly personal. Um, you know, this job, it's, hard, it's a hard job. Uh, it takes a toll. And I was ready to do something else. And, you know, it's partly political. It's that um, there's been a set of things that me and Karen set out to accomplish. And um, a lot of those things I can say that we accomplished, Um, you know, we're talking about a school system whose funding is much more secure. Um, Pension funding, for example, has a whole new new revenue source on that. Um, We're talking about a contract which has enforceable class size. Um, You know, we'll have guaranteed staffing minimums for clinicians, for uh, uh, school social workers and for certified school nurses and nurses. Um, you know, we're talking about we're able to get our union to a point where it could strike after 25 years not having done that. Um, but we're also talking about a union that um, has been able to rebuild um, some political power. Um, so, you know, elected school board, we repealed the part of the law, um, which keeps us from being able to bargain about anything other than wages or benefits. So in a lot of ways, those are things that, that we, I accomplished, or we, I should say, we as a union accomplished, you know, and then it gets into, is the goal to really hold on to a position of administrative power and influence for as long as possible? And that's never been what I'm into. Um, the goal is to pass the baton to another generation of leadership that can take the union to new heights. And so, you know, you've got States, Vice President Stacey Davis Gates who I think is an extremely capable leader, um, our union's most effective spokesperson, you know, powerful advocate. And so, you know, I, I see leadership like that and it gives me confidence that I can say, you know, okay, um, it's time for me to take a step back and, and let other people come to the front. 
No, it makes sense. And, you know, it, it's it's interesting looking at the way leadership, we run things here in the union and the way the mayor decides to conduct her vision of leadership at the city. Mayors in Chicago have for decades, maybe centuries, had this iron grip over the city. And that just doesn't seem to be enough. Like, it's not enough that we control city council. It's not enough we control the school board. Now we need to inject ourselves into union politics as well, because we got to make sure every little piece is under her thumb. Yeah, I mean, you're referring to these revelations um, in today's paper over the last few days that the um, former uh, political consultant and a former staffer for the mayor um, has been found setting up an, a limited liability corporation to intervene to the CTU election, um, the violation of federal law. Uh, it's, you know, it's outrageous, it's unprecedented. I mean, I'll say something more about that in a second, but I, but I, I do just want to start with, yeah, I mean, if you think about the way political power in, in Chicago has tended to work, um, maybe, you know, hopefully Lightfoot and Rom being exceptions to that, well, you know, the short termers anyway, um, you know, you always had the dailies that just stayed in power forever. And it seemed that, that the goal of political power was just to stay in political power. And I, and I think it's a problem because it, it, the values behind that, con, you know, are at odds with the values that should inform a rank and file driven union movement. And, and our value should be, we grow leadership from inside. People go from being a rank and file member to a rank and file activist, to a rank and file leader, to someone who's got an elected position, they becomes in the office and eventually becomes president. That's been our vision of, of how things work inside of the Democratic Union, inside of a member-led union. And, and that stops working if the people who are at the top of that just stay and hold on to power forever and, and never leave, because then people can't move up through the organization. Um, and so that really informed, informed my thinking. Uh, and honestly, this is something I talked about with Stacey and, and a set of people inside leadership uh, months ago, but then the Omicron surge hit and we were in a crazy fight about a safety agreement and I wasn't about to announce, you know, right during the middle of that. So it, it did, it did delay uh, the announcement of it. Um, but I, but I was pretty clear in my head that it was going to be time for me to, um, Time for me to say it's enough. Uh, I'll, I'll move on personally, and the CTU should pick a, a new generation of leaders. And I just want to piggyback on what Jim stated about just the mayor trying to interfere with our elections. It, it just won't work. People, uh, many people outside has always tried to interfere with our elections. I think about when they try to um, when they change the the striking when we couldn't they try to make raise seventy five percent members to vote um, in favor of striking. And they just knew they had it. It's like, oh, nobody's going to do that. Nobody in history of unions would ever vote 75. You would never get a 75 percent vote. You'll never we, get that. We got nine. And right. We did. We didn't. We didn't get 75 percent. We would get 94, 95 percent. So people always try. They always feel because, as um, Jesse said, we homegrown our leadership. And so uh, we are very conscious union. So we're not we're not powerful for nothing. You know, we're powerful because we have 25,000 strong conscious members who know when somebody's trying to interfere or somebody's trying to manipulate us, we know what we're doing. And so you can try outsiders, but you're not going to interfere with our elections. No, that's right. Um, I, you know, this, um, uh, what's her name? Lisa Schneider Fabes was the, is, is the, um, consultant and the former staff for the mayor who, who's, who set up this, this operation to interfere in our election. Um, 
it's not, you know, it's not clear the mayor's denying there's a connection, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, that's something we're going to have to investigate. But one of the things I think is really interesting is the degree to which they assume because we're having an internal election, that must mean our union is weak or that people aren't able to uh, support the positions that we take as a union. Um, we take our positions after having, you know, really uh, kind of sometimes bare knuckle internal debates. You know, one of the things I'm proud of is, is really is something that we've accomplished in the last 15 years is that we've really built the House of Delegates, the number of the level of experience, the way those meetings run, the level of participation is all, is all much higher. But, you know, back in the day, I can remember the president of the union presiding over a meeting, having someone who was heckling them arrested uh, out of the House of Delegates, like by the cops. And the person who was heckling them was a former president of the CTF. So if you can imagine the former president of CDU being arrested by the police out of out of a house meeting, people standing on chairs, heckling, fights, I mean, you know, it was, and I and I think some of that stuff goes too far and is something which, um, uh, you know, is not actually good for union democracy. But but my point would be that, like, our union could do that and still be united when it was important and we when we had to um, uh, fight the employer or, or or take a stand for something that, that went to our critical self-interest. So, uh, you know, I think that there's a tendency among corporate America, they've got CEOs, right? They don't have to deal with this. Um, but for us, like our internal democratic culture is that we have real debates internally and it doesn't make us weaker, it makes us stronger. Um, but one thing we can't have is we can't have independent expenditures or you know political committees or political operators who aren't even members of the CTU, don't live in Chicago, et cetera, um, trying to intervene in our elections. So you know we're gonna have to put a stop to that. Uh, strong statement. Uh, we'll, we'll be calling the executive board in the house, and, and hopefully the executive board will call the house, uh, and, and we'll we'll put out a position you know, and take some steps. You know, when you look at most people in leadership here in the city, spe- specifically on in the mayor's office, they see consolidating power as their strength. That's what they do, and it's a fundamental misunderstanding of how democracy functions. And the idea that we have a lively debate and that there is this kind of struggle, productive struggle towards a betterment of the community and, and a betterment of our union. That's what it's all about. And that's what gives us strength. And I think that's where they're blind because they don't understand someone like Jesse deciding to step back from power. That's so anathema to them. Yeah. I, there's a broader point here, Jim, which is that the attack on public schools over the last couple of decades and hopefully we're turning the corner, but you know, you can't count your chickens there. You know, I would never, I would never rest. But take, for example, school closings um, and the pattern around that, or the you know the the school program of Renaissance 2010, um, which involved privatizing out a big chunk of the schools. Those were never debated in public. Those were made in small policy circles, and then and then some of those policies were profoundly unpopular, and could only be sustained and carried out to the degree to which they were undemocratic in which they were actually insulated from democracy. And so we've always understood that democracy and popular participation in in our politics and making common cause with broad sections of the population is the way to defend a a broad public project like public education. It's really the only way to do it. Um, And like just every bit as much as sort of the, the CEO structure and one party rule and the mayor that stays in office forever, that that stuff is very characteristic of the forces that we're fighting against. Our side has to be about open democratic process. You know, hopefully we can come together and, and, and get some consensus and take strongly unified positions. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, think, I think as a union movement, democracy has to continue to be our strength.
So you have been in leadership um, of the CTU for the past 12 years. And for many teachers, you are the only leadership they've ever known. So maybe you can reflect on where we were and where we're going now as a union. 12 years, yeah. It, it feels like longer to be actually. Does it? <laughs> yeah. Well, 12 years is a long time. And, you know, before that, I was a teacher in Chicago for 12. I guess this has been a project I've done for quite a while. Um, I, well, I guess I would start by saying the work has been, um, I mean, it's it's been extremely fulfilling work. The, you know, the, the, the union project has been something which, you know, we watched go from kind of a long shot, you know, there were a handful of us that had a vision of a different kind of a union. Um, we wanted our union to inspire, to be something which uh, brought back the joy of teaching learning, uh, where we where we felt like we were part of a mass movement, where we were connected to other social forces. And it just seemed like that was a really lonely, I can remember giving meetings in church basements to handfuls of people, you know, can we, you know I remember like doing their initial research on Renaissance 2010, or the plan that preceded it back in 2003, and I was a classroom teacher at Sen High School. And, you know, literally do, doing these little meetings, two, three people would come and be like, okay, I got a couple of people and, you know, and then go to a hearing and meet, you know, meet, you know, Matt Jackson Potter, uh, met Karen, you know, I didn't know Karen Lewis, but see Karen Lewis at a closing hearing and remake those connections. And I, you know, that was the kind of way that, that, that work proceeded for a long time. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think that's one of the things that I, I hope people, um, who've had, you know, whose whole experience has been, you know, a social justice union, a union that, that where there's like a lot of participation where, um, uh, you know, where it seems like we're gone from victory to victory is to remember that like that work has only ever been as strong as rank and file teachers who decided to organize and take ownership of their, of our own union. And uh, that's very much how I see myself. That's why I'm going back to the classroom. And I, you know, and I hope people continue to do that and, and, and um, put themselves forward. Yeah, there's a set of things we've accomplished, to be sure. I don't want to, like, sell those things short. Those are important. And I think we're at a place where, you know, you get to the top of the hill and it's not like you can see the next hill or the next obstacle more clearly. And and I think in some ways that's where we're at. You know, we've been able to climb up some ground, you know, we're not down in a hole in the bottom of a valley and underneath a pit, you know, we've gotten up a little ways, but now we can see that we're going to have to figure out how to contest for an elected school board. And that's not going to be automatic. There's going to be a lot of political forces lined up against us there. Um, yeah, uh, funding has improved in some ways, but it's still not where it needs to be. Um, I think we, you know, there's been a bunch of federal funding, for example, that's come in for the pandemic. And most of that funding has just gone to run status quo program. Uh, meant that we haven't been laid off in huge numbers um, as the pandemic has driven people out of the schools. But it, it certainly hasn't looked like the kind of broad social relief that they promised for the kinds of things that are going to help our, our our students and our communities really deal with the trauma that we that we've been facing. So those are going to those are going to be future fights. I think we've got a sharp recession coming. Um, you know, I think they're going to spike interest rates, and I think it's going to drive the economy into a recession. And uh, I'm glad that we got a couple of years left in our contract with decent raises, because I think I think there's going to be a sharp recession coming. But you know, that means the next one's going to be a bear. So we're going to have to be ready for that. So, you know, all those things are, are you know, are a reminder that that um, the actual details of the challenges change, 
But broadly speaking, the key thing is participation in our union, um, keep it democratic, make sure it's centered on a vision of how, how we can make our society better. Um, we have to continue to inspire people along those lines. Um, I guess the last thing I say about that, one of the things that good leaders do as we go through transition is we talk about transition. To be clear, this might not be the most traumatic transition in the world, but it's a, it's a transition. And, and, and one of the things that happens when someone who you're familiar with goes away is there'll be a feeling that people will feel lost and people will feel anger or sadness. Some people will feel happiness, <laughs> get that get motor mouth sharky out of the way. But I, I think that's important because along with that can come a sense of a lack of direction. People can feel disoriented. And in order for us to be able to see the path through that and back to a point where we can gain some new inspiration, a new sense of direction, a new, you know, a, a new energy, um, we have to talk about the fact and process um, that it will be a change. You know, I, I have been a pretty steady force in the CTU over the last more than decade, but I'm confident that our union has the stuff it needs to, to move forward to new heights. Yeah, you know, looking back, 2012 was probably the first time I really got super involved in the union myself personally. I don't know, maybe I'm over overblowing it, but in my mind, 2012 was like the watershed year for you know, social justice here in Chicago, which is, at least in my mind, it was, maybe it was just for me, but I just kind of reflect on that and see how, how did that change everything? There were those huge rallies, like, you know, where there were like 20,000 people in red, like all of downtown, they were, they, we started getting helicopter shots, you know, and <laughs> like a sea of red. On the first day of the strike, we had a meeting at uh, the off at the board's lawyer's office, this guy, Jim Franzik, who's, you know, the, the uh, old school labor attorney who did all the city's labor contracts. And he's like on the 35th floor, the 34th floor of some uh, build, uh, big uh, fancy building on South Walker Drive. And like you're way up there and you could actually hear the chanting. And we'd be like, oh, I think our people are down there. Like, you see it, and you'd be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you don't want to talk about it, you know. But Tally's pissed off and w- wouldn't show up, um, they, you know. But it, 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 I, it, it's so, once you've seen that, it gives you a confidence that you can do it. But before you've seen it, you don't really know if you can do it. And that's what, what I think was remarkable about 12. Again, when we organized, there was a big rally, uh, which we, we were really conscious that, that, they had made a big mistake in the bill that uh, the 75% bill, because they thought they were going to keep us from striking. And we'd had meetings with the legislature where they were really explicit. You guys aren't, you're not going to strike. And we wouldn't say that, but we didn't really want to tempt fate. So we were trying to hold the announcement that we were taking a strike authorization vote until the legislature's actually was over. We wanted to make sure they didn't go back and change the law to make it actually illegal or impossible to strike. And so if you if you remember the timing of that rally, it was like right at the end of May, um, which is starting to be dicey time because people are getting tired and, you know, and whatnot. And and if you also remember all the signs of the rally, they, all, they were all like, yes to dignity, yes to respect. It was all, all the messaging was yes, because we were trying to get ready for a yes strike vote. Um, but we couldn't announce that there was a strike vote. So we were trying to like walk all those lines. And so we booked a big hall. I mean, the auditorium theater is not some little, it holds like 4,000 people or something like that. Um, and we didn't know if we were going to fill it. And, you know, if you hold a f- meeting in a 4,000 person space and it's only half full, it feels really depressing. And then just remember watching it fill up. Then we had a spillover rally, uh, right? And, and so Karen and I used to joke, we'd, we'd say, 
if this doesn't work, I guess we'll go back to teaching class. That's okay. <laughs> that's like we're going to try as hard as we can. Um, but none of the none of those results were were guaranteed in advance, and and it did work. I mean, we filled up the route. You know, we filled up the hall. We got the strike authorization vote. We you know we were able to um, get out on strike. It wasn't like in, in traditional collective bargaining terms. It wasn't that successful of a strike. But what was successful is it showed that we could fight back and, and that we could win popular opinion. And in a lot of ways, the real contract gains didn't really come until nineteen. Right. I mean, the things we would have wanted to have win in 12, we had to wait until 19 to get something unenforceable class size to, you know, to to win back staffing, um, you know, to 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 reverse, you know, a series of things. I mean, that was have stopped them from killing us. Strike. It was very defensive strike in 12. Um, But, yeah, I know that that was, um, I think, the most important thing about it is that it showed people that it could be done, that we could that we could unleash the power of 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 30,000 people in the union. Yeah, Jesse, I love the visuals that you give talking about the 30,000, then, you know, the sea of red and filling up auditoriums and things like that. So what do you think makes today's version of CTU different from other unions or even different from CTU before? Well, one thing that's kind of cool is that there's other unions who who, who actually have um, who've adopted the model uh, and even improved it. I mean, if you think about it. Um, sea of Red, you know, we struck in um, in uh, uh, fall of 19, but in the early spring of 19, Los Angeles struck, and their rallies were even bigger, and they also also all in red. Um, and then in 18, obviously, you had the Red State Rebellion strikes, uh, which were illegal strikes uh, in Republican-dominated states, statewide strikes. So, we, you know, hopefully we've seen some revival of the labor movement uh, around the themes of democratic participation, the need to to fund education properly, the the need to have the schools our children deserve. You know, those are sort of the broad themes of our our fight in 12, you know, all all the way through. And those have been picked up in a lot of other places. So, uh, you know, I'd like us to be less unique in some ways, Um, in as much as we're still different from other unions. Um, I do think it's it's all of our top leadership comes from you know inside our ranks. Uh, we uh, we take very seriously uh, you know the the social content impact of what we're doing. Um, yeah, we view we 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 think that our contract's important, but we just don't view it narrowly only in terms of wages and benefits. We also view it in terms of you know what are the working conditions like in our schools. Um, how do those conditions affect the, the the quality of the education that students and parents have? And we're able to, I, th- I think, um, have a much more effective popular program because of that. Let's talk a little more about that. Like CTU's model for social justice unionism. Like what does that really mean? And why is that important? Not just in context of us here in as teachers, but as, as a larger community and, and nation currently. On some level, it's not a particularly complicated idea. It's just the idea that if the only thing I cared about was money, I probably wouldn't have been a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, obviously, we care about money, but we teach human beings, right? Young ones at that. and, And hopefully people get some sense of fulfillment out of that. It's definitely the case that the, um, Parents and the people who contribute to the public schools with their tax dollars care about the well-being of their children. And so, you know, I, I think what we've tried to do is make an argument that says that, 
we're not just narrowly defending our own wages and benefits. We're broadly defending the institution of public schools and by extension, the ability for us to do right by the next generation of our society, young people. And so we're bound to uh, be more effective if we can talk about producing a just outcome for those students. You're not going to have great outcomes for students if, you know, tens of thousands of them are homeless. You're not going to have great outcomes for your students if 85% of them are Black and Latino and you have systematic racism in, in, in the city that defunds and closes Black and Latino schools. You're not going to have great, great outcomes um, for your students uh, if 20% of them have special education services and the district is slashing special education services uh, and then lying about it. And these are all things that, that have have happened. And I think it's to our great credit that we've been able to develop a way to talk about that, um, you know, to be and be seen as people who really like care broadly about the quality of our public schools and, and um, doing right by the communities that make up the public school, you know, all the different parts of the public school community. So Jesse, you're a history teacher. So looking back at the past, um, what do you think needs to be done to revitalize organized labor in the U.S.? That's a great question. I mean, I think unions need to be more democratic and I think unions need to become more combative. I think unions need to revitalize the strike. I think unions need to um, uh, pick fights that unify our members, that that go beyond just their narrow sectional interests and start looking at our class interests. In other words, things that aren't entirely different for what the CTU has done, um, but, but obviously in different contexts. You know, I mean, for example, you know, if you're a steel workers or chemical workers union, your work isn't, it's not exactly the same. Social justice unions don't mean the same thing because, you know, you're not necessarily talking about children. You know, you, you actually aren't just making, you're making a commodity. But the way that work is done in your community matters to that community, whether it has to do with pollution or the environmental impact of it or the question of the way that industry impacts the communities of you know where, where the where production is located etc and i just think that like unions have gotten so narrow that it's really easy for other sections of the working class to look at the union and say oh that's just those guys looking out for their own wages and benefits and and forget that we're only going to really be able to impact our broad society and all the ways that our society is messed up if workers can be united and, and put forward a vision about about a ways a society can be better. No, I mean, it was, honestly, it was the switch to the social justice unionism that got me involved in the union to begin with. I've always been a strong union supporter and, you know, all that, and I was always going to be supportive of whatever union was there. But to really get involved, I needed to know that it was more than just, I got mine too bad for everybody else. And, you know, looking around the community, because you know, I lived in lots of different parts of the city up in Humboldt Park and then down in Gage Park, where I lived most of my time here in the city. You know, I saw that these kids, you know, when they're coming into my classroom and they're worried about their parents losing a job or they're worried about the immigration status of their grandparents or they're worried about homelessness, they do not care about me teaching about John Adams. <laughs> they don't give they don't give a crap about that. And I don't blame them. I wouldn't either. You know, this kind of thing that it's it's about more than just me. That's why I got into teaching. Like if it was just about me, like you said earlier, if it was about money, this would not have been a poor choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would have been a really poor right. choice on my end. Right. <laughs> and you know, and I, I what I like about our model currently about the, the schools our students deserve 
is it's more than just us and our students. It's about a broader community. And community is what raises everyone up. Doesn't matter who you are or what you do. And it's part of the conversation in every context of what we do here as a city. And, and, and it's very, it's inspiring to me and to other people. Um, I was just, I'm going to give a shout out to a, a local restaurant up by me, North Branch Chicken. They've got a great chicken sandwich. If you ever go up there, I was in there two days ago, I had my uh, C- CPS ID on and the guy ran out of the kitchen. He's like, I'm so sorry. I was, you know, we have a discount for the teachers because you guys are always doing what's right. Anything we can do, this guy raises money for the schools in the neighborhood um, to help them with supplies. That shouldn't be needed. We should have funding in general. But the fact that the schools and the communities are working together, this is part of what we fostered here at CTU as part of the social justice initiative that we've got that have been going on for the last 12 years. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I, I have to say it's like going around the city, uh, not so much like on Michigan Avenue or some of the posher parts of town. Um, you know, there you're likely like, you know, you know, it'd be like, it'd be like three in the afternoon and, you know, you'd be on some picket somewhere and some lady Mercedes, you know, with a fur world that I wouldn't be like, get a job. Like, <laughs> I got a job. I'm picketing, you know, it's three in the afternoon and you're running around in your Mercedes. It looks like you don't have a job. <laughs> but, um, but no, going on the working class parts of the city with, you know, with, with the union gear, it's, it's pretty edifying. It really is. So uh, what, say it again, uh, North Park, what's the name of the restaurant? North, <laughs> North Branch Chicken. North it's Branch up Chicken. on uh, Northwest Highway. It's great, man. I'm, I'm a big chicken fan. Anybody listening to the show knows I talk about chicken quite a bit. I'm a big fan of chicken. My favorite Herald's closed down, down on 87th in the Dan Ryan. I'm still upset about that a little bit. But All right, well, when we do the food episode, we'll, we'll go down and talk about the chicken. Um, there we go. Yeah, there you go. That's what we should do. We should have our own like check, please, on the show. <laughs> Eric, let's get that on the books. <laughs> Interesting. So since we're going back down uh, memory lane, um, just to piggyback on us being a social justice union, I got more uh, involved um, in CTU uh, when Karen and Jesse took office in 2010. I was a, I became a delegate in my school. I was at a turnaround school and I just, um, nobody wanted to be a delegate. And it was like, you know, that time, like, uh, who wants to be the delegate? Everybody's, you know, we had a union meeting and it was like, oh, nobody, you know, nobody wanted to be the delegate. So I was like, okay, I'll be the delegate. And I remember going to my first, you know, HOD meeting and my eyes were just truly open, you know, hearing Jesse and Karen speak then. And I was just really seeing the like the injustices of school turnarounds and um, just so much inequity in schools. I just like I just got like radical, like baptized right away (laughs) Uh, as a unionist. And I was like, wow. Um, And I just didn't look at myself no longer as a teacher, but as a unionist and just an advocate and activist for education um, because we need that. And who's going to fight for our children except that, you know, you know, we're we're really fighting for our kids. And so I remember, like I said, I remember um, being at the HOD meeting. I felt like I was really a part of something great, not just some typical. Let's talk about bread and butter issues, but let's talk about social justice. Let's talk about, you know, equity in school. Let's make sure that we give our students schools that our students deserve. It was really real. And even though we may disagree on a lot of things, it's just the main issue is what's best for our students. And I've never been around people that really, really just really care about the needs of our children. It's not like like Jesse said earlier, it's not about power and trying to stay in control. It's really about we really, really want the best needs of our children in our in our union. So since we're going back down memory lane, I'm just thinking about 2010, my first HOD meeting and hearing those hearing those powerful speeches and hearing people clap and stand up. I'm like, yes, I'm a part of something great. 
That's that. That's a great memory. I just think there's there's been a lot, you know, and I think that's I mean, that's one of the things to to keep in mind as we sit here in 2022. That um, over the last 12 years, we've gone through a lot of twists and turns, I and mean, it hasn't hasn't been a straight, wide, flat road. Um, you know, there was the the law that passed, which was designed to keep us from striking. Rom coming into office, um, you, you know, you remember, I don't know if you guys remember, but when Rom first came into office, he he had these longer school pioneer schools. And he tried to basically head off the our ability to strike. Um, they ran votes in 110 schools and tried to get people to waive the contract in 110 schools. And, and of 110 votes, we beat them in 102. <laughs> 102 out of eight, like, you know, an eight was our record. And Honestly, the CTO office wasn't really set up to fight. You know, it was set up on a much more kind of service model than that. We didn't have an organizing department. We didn't have a research department. We paid people, honestly, on a sustainable amount. So, you know, there was a whole series of internal fights about trying to get uh, the union office to the place where it could support the organizing battles that we had. Um, then we had that strike in 12 and... Um, they, they were threatening to put us in jail on that. And I, and I, for years, I like, I was like, a uh, they served me with a 700-page document <laughs> to come to court. For years, I kept it on my shelf. It was like as big as my head um, um, to threaten us in court. Then they closed all those schools. Remember that crazy fight? And we were marching around the south and west sides for multiple days. And, and there are whole sets of fights around that. Then we went into the the, uh, the, camp, the mayor's race and, and Karen got sick right in the middle of it. And, and um um, and then she, you know, had a surgery and recovered. Um, this was before the cancer returned. Um, and then in the middle of that, they were, um, there was a huge funding crisis. Rauner was the governor and was trying to make our schools go bankrupt so they could open our pensions. They were furloughing us in the middle of all that. So we had, you know, we had furlough fights and we threatened to strike them. And then we, we did strike for a day in 16 around funding. This is before they passed the funding bill. And just like you, you remember the, the twists and turns and how much trade union experience people gathered. Um, and now the pandemic. And I just think one of the things that gives me hope is that we're no longer an organization of trade union neophytes. People have some real, um, some tactical savvy, some strategic understanding we should be we should be proud of our trade unions. We should be proud of our union and our work. And you know, I, I hope if people think about my legacy, I'm, I'm glad to have played, you know, done my duty and played an important part in that. Um, and now I'm looking forward to being a member of the, the union as we go forward to, to greater things. Well, I know you're you're planning on going back into the classroom now, and I'm sure you've got all kinds of uh, great things planned for that, like lesson plans. Yeah, lesson plans, <laughs> all kinds of stuff, your reach evaluations, that'll be fun, you know. Uh, but how do you plan to stay involved in CTU? What do you plan to be doing there? Maybe a, maybe a fun delegate at your new school. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I plan to stay involved in CTU in the regular ways. I mean, you know, I'll try to be involved in committee work. Um, I... Uh, I mean, I, I I will stay out of the office. That's one thing I'll I'll offer to whoever our new officers are. Um, members obviously have to decide that, and I'll do whoever that is a favor and let them do their jobs. But no, I mean, you know, any way that I can stay involved in the movement, um, I will. I you know, like I said, I I, 
I'm 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 interested in I'm interested in our rank and file initiatives, our committees. Um, you know, we'll 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 see what's handy. I, yeah, I will also say that at some point I'll probably try to write a book about stuff. You know, write up write up some of the, the various notes I've taken. Um, will we get the scoop on that here on TT? <laughs> no, no, not a discount, a free copy. <laughs> um, I'm a horribly slow writer, so don't hold your breath for that. Not a bad writer, but but pretty painfully slow. And, uh, you know, the other thing that, um, um, uh, you know, that occurs to me is that it would, it would be good to figure out a way to try to consciously teach and reproduce some of the lessons we've learned about leadership. And that's something which I'd be interested in doing, you know, maybe through the Quest Center, um, just do a class on union leadership um, in which, you know, try to contribute some of the things that we've, that we've discovered and have a place where we will discuss that. Well, thank you so much, President. Jesse Sharkey for being on um, CTU Speaks today. We really appreciate you. What an honor to have you serve as president for these years. And you have truly, you and Karen have truly revolutionized the union. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I um, uh, you know, I, I maybe the last thing I should say is that, you know, I, I do hope, you know, we just passed the one year anniversary of Karen's passing. Think think about what she contributed. Uh, you, you know, it was, I mean, she really did give the full measure of her devotion to this union. And, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad to have played whatever part I could in that. Um, you know, and look, I, I look forward to continuing to keep the conversation up. Uh, like I said, not from office, but, you know, certainly, certainly from, uh, you know, in the movement. Thank you so much. It's been great working with you and, uh, you know, always great having you as on the show and you've been a fantastic leader and I wish you good luck in everything and I can't wait to see what you're going to do next. All right. Thanks, guys. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of CTU Speaks where Sharky signed off. We got to hear from our president, Jesse Sharkey, and what's going to be happening in the future of our union and where it's come from and where it's going. If you want to get us and contribute any podcast ideas to us, you can get us on our phone number, 312-467-8888. And I'll say it twice because Ms. Barker does, 312-467-8888. Or you can get us at our email address, Ms. Barker, and what would that be? CTU Speaks at ctulocal1.org. And again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of CTU Speaks, where again, we only speak what matters. There you go.